Father, first, we would like to lift up those who are being harassed, persecuted, the families of those who are being killed in Afghanistan, the soldiers who are there, over 5,000 or 6,000 that are there, <clears throat> that are seeking to keep order. I pray, Lord, that you would open doors, even supernatural events that would get the people out, that the Taliban would be confused, that even amongst their ranks they couldn't make decisions. And I pray that you would confound that whole movement over there to get these people out, to get them to safety. And I don't know what's going to happen to them, Lord, but you do. You know where they're going to go. And if they come to San Diego, I know Gavin Newsom, Father, has opened this up uh, for those coming from Afghanistan. If you want us to witness to some of those who come here, give us the ability. Put us in contact with them. Help us to deliver to them the gospel. We also pray that you would bless your word, that you would help us to pay attention to the warnings that are in Scripture, the things that we are to avoid, the things that we are to speak up against. Help us to do so without having fear of those who can kill the body, but fearing the one in humility who gave us life. With your help, we'll do this in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> well, we left off <clears throat> Excuse me, in chapter 6, in verse 3. It reads there in First Timothy, If anyone teaches false doctrines and does not agree with sound instruction of our Lord Jesus Christ and to godly or holy teaching, he is conceited and understands nothing. So he deals here with false doctrines or sound doctrines, sound instruction. And everybody needs to eventually ask the question, what is sound instruction or sound doctrine solid doctrine as it originally was instituted in the first century by the apostle paul now there's some doctrines that came after that that are clearly taught in scripture after we get more understanding for instance martin luther sola fide sola gratis sola scriptura all of those things i would hold to those but those didn't come until the 16th century but Orthodox teaching or teaching that has been established early on or teaching that is right. That's what orthodox teaching involves. It's what Christ taught. It's what the apostles taught. It's what scripture teaches. Those are the things that we are supposed to hold on to. And also godly or holy teaching. So sound doctrine and godly and holy teaching. Now, the reason he brings this up is there was a group, a movement for the first three centuries in the church called the Gnostics. And the Gnostics, they didn't hold to uh, believing that this world is good. They believed that everything in this world was evil. All physical reality was worthless. It was, like I said, evil. Anything done in the body, therefore, is meaningless. It has no meaning as far as eternity is concerned. And all morality can be subjective and not objective. It means... Whatever you think you need to do, even though this world is evil, you can go ahead and do it no matter how gross the sin is. No matter how deep you dive into immorality, it doesn't matter because this world, it doesn't matter whatsoever, this physical world. All that matters is the spiritual world. And that's what they would teach. And so Paul is teaching against this. And we need to instruct others on holy living and godly uh, attitudes that we're supposed to hold. And Paul tell Timothy, tells Timothy to hold on to the solid doctrine and holy living and oppose those who reject it. 
And those who reject or oppose the sound doctrine, he says the first thing that they are is prideful. They are inflated with self-conceit. They are know-it-alls. They are narcissists. They are in love with themselves. They like to hear themselves speak. They like to hear themselves say wonderful things. And all the attention, they love to garner the attention. So first they are prideful. And then they understand nothing. Now, what he says here in the original Greek is they are stupid and acting like fools. That's what the original Greek means. It means they are sick in the head, an ailment of the mind, that type of ailment that comes along even with old age, whether it is a a mental breakdown, that type of thing. That's what he is saying here. They understand nothing. They're stupid. They're sick in their mind. They're fools is who they are. And we ought not to pay attention to them. He goes on to say, he, the person who teaches this unsound doctrine, has an unhealthy interest in controversies and quarrels about words that result in envy and strife and malicious talk and evil suspicions and constant friction between men of corrupt mind who have been robbed of the truth and who think that godliness is a means to financial gain. So they promote these controversies. And there have been controversies inside the Christian church, uh, the health, wealth, and prosperity doctrines, the Toronto blessing, all of those things, and the, the emergent church, which is here now. We don't really want to call sin, sin. And we want to turn the church more into like a business. And if you do a demographic study, you can find out where to, quote, plant the church. And if you have the right environment, it's like looking up where would you put a Starbucks? Well, you do a demographic of the population and the freeway access and how close it is to businesses and residential. And you do all that. And that that was church growth. When I went to seminary, that was pushed big time. And we had to do reports on that, how you grow, quote, a church, just like you would grow a business. And you have a business plan that you make out for the particular church. And and so all of these are controversial. I remember when they were getting out there, the Christians were saying, what, why are we talking about this? That's not even solid doctrine, you know, to use the world's methods to employ them inside the Christian church. This isn't a good idea. That's a couple of controversies that we have had here. But then there are the controversies, for instance, the Gnostics, they had a demurge. Demurge was the god. It wasn't really a personal god, but that's who they counted as the force that came in and took chaos and created the earth that we have here. And that was the idea that was opposed to God. And people would sit down inside the church at that time and they would talk about the Gnostic belief in God as opposed to the Christian belief in God. And they'd start going back and forth. And the Christians would argue from the Old Testament or what the Apostle Paul say and said. And the, the Gnostics, they would argue from the philosophy like Plato. He was a, a Gnostic or he held to that particular teaching and so there was opposition inside the church that was arising and if you had particular gnosis or knowledge that's how you got saved it wasn't by asking jesus to forgive you of your sins and so if somebody comes in the church and says you don't need jesus to be forgiven and live forever if you just have this knowledge this deep knowledge then you'll be saved and you'll live forever and you'll go on to the next existence and could you imagine that going on in church how, how long would it be silent in any Bible teaching church? Not very long. And then there's the quarreling about words. Do you remember the first time there was a quarrel about words in the Bible? 
It was in the book of Genesis, chapter 3, and verse 2. The woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the tree in the garden, but God did, did say, You must not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. And then Satan says, You will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman. That's the first time they're quarreling about words. Die? What does die mean? You're not going to die. Just go ahead and eat of this fruit. It's going to be okay and you'll be like gods. You'll, you'll know good and evil. And of course, she was deceived from that point. Second Timothy chapter two, verse 14, when Paul wrote his second letter to Timothy, he reminded them of these things, said, warn them before God against quarreling about words. It is of no value and only ruins those who listen. And and so you can get caught up in the minutia of scripture and start arguing that which is outside of scripture with that which is inside of scripture and just go back and forth and be argumentative. And the servant of the Lord is not to be argumentative. We can simply state our case and move on from there. But these people, these Gnostics, would come inside the church and they'd think that they would get saved and they'd like what's going on in the church. They'd like the community of believers, the fellowship of the saints there. But then they would try to interject their own particular doctrines. And God says, no, don't do that, especially through Paul a couple of times, three times at least in Scripture, Paul says don't do it. It's even in the Old Testament. Don't be arguing about this, these types of things. Now, what is the result of this type of action inside the church? Envy. <clears throat> you will have ill will towards somebody. If somebody is arguing about the nature of God, they go back and forth and they are staunch in it. They won't change because they're narcissists. They're prideful. They won't look at scripture and what scripture has to say. You start thinking to yourself, I wish something bad would happen to them. Or the person who is teaching that is saying, oh, they're so stupid. What are they thinking? They, they need to change their, they need to become more enlightened or strife debate going back and forth now i believe in healthy good wholesome debate we go to the scriptures we examine them to see if what paul and the rest of the apostles said in the old testament if what it said in there is true if it works out if it comports with reality that's all good good healthy debate is it's vital for us but debate over these controversial subjects it's like just put it away and then malicious talk where somebody gets vilified, denigrated, belittled, slandered, that's what's going to happen if you have that type of arguing going on inside the church. And then evil suspicions where that you're making judgments without sufficient evidence. You look at somebody and you think, well, I bet he's just sinful to the core anyhow. I bet he listens to rock and roll and, and he just is corrupt to the core in all that he does in his life. And so evil suspicions come up. And then constant friction or mutual irritation where people walk away and they're just irritated at each other. They don't, they can't have a civil conversation. And do you know how that is when somebody is argumentative and they show up? Oh, great. Here he comes. And, and you kind of drop on the inside and you just get prepared. You go, I'm not going to say anything. I'm just not going to comment on anything. And is that any way to be inside of a church? It, it's not. And a narcissist will argue in bad faith. Anyone who's, who is um, into themselves, who's prideful, and they think they're always correct, 
they sometimes will deliberately dedicate themselves to misunderstanding and mischaracterizing others, often pointing to that which is absurd. And what I mean by that is if somebody says something, they immediately make this illogical jump that means something else. Now, I have seen this on the secular level several times. Now, maybe some of you know who Jordan Peterson is. Jordan Peterson, I I like listening to him. I don't think that necessarily he is a believer when he is asked if he is a believer. And he's a Canadian professor uh, up in Canada. And when he is asked if he is a believer, he says, well, I don't like the question. If somebody asks you if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, I'm going to go, yep, definitely. No question. Jesus Christ is Lord. He's God in the flesh. He's the Savior of the world. He's the Messiah. Yep, I believe in him. But Jordan Peterson says, I don't like the question. He doesn't like the question because of what it implies. If you believe in God, then you're accountable and you need to act a particular way. And if you don't act a particular way, then you're really not explaining or demonstrating belief. And therefore, he doesn't like to answer the question because it holds him accountable which it should. It should hold us all accountable. Well, he had an interview with Kathy Newman of the UK. And well, that's the first thing I saw of him. And he was masterful in talking to her. And everything that she said, all the questions that she would bring up to him, she was deliberately dedicating herself to misunderstanding and mischaracterizing everything that he said in this particular interview. And you can see it. It's on the Internet. It is Kathy Newman and Jordan Peterson. And it gets to one point in the interview where she is trying to mischaracterize everything that he says. And he goes, no, that's not what I'm holding to. And he would explain what he's holding to four or five times. She does this. And then she gets stumped at the end because she can't lead the misunderstanding in the direction she wants to go and he turns to her and he says I got you didn't I and she fell silent she didn't have anything to say back to him and that was a classic case of somebody who was arguing in bad faith they just want to steer the conversation to get a particular narrative going to be accusatory and make the person that's being interviewed look bad and this is how somebody in the church could do it If they were a Gnostic or if they were a heretic of some kind, they would come inside the church and they would put these type of propositions before people. And then they could also defer to bullying, intimidating, yelling, lies, and threats. If they're not making uh, their point solid and the person is gaining ground, then they start pointing the finger. They start yelling. They go into what is called ad hominem attacks like you don't know anything you're just uneducated you don't have a degree and and that's the way that they go they start attacking from that standpoint or they start talking about all the letters of recommendations that they have or all the letters behind their names that they possess and paul talked about this with the super apostles we know that in first and second corinthians that there were those who were opposing him and they had these letters from jerusalem and that's what they used to push their point of view to give them authority and it was in this particular case of jordan peterson and kathy newman it was wonderful to watch how somebody was just exposed for their disingenuousness and then 
I have also seen this in action. Uh, maybe some of you know who Ben Shapiro is. Ben Shapiro, he has a website called The Daily Wire. He's not a believer. He is a Jew. And I've seen interviews with him and John MacArthur and others who are out there. And he's a very smart guy. I think he graduated from uh, law school before he was 25 and may even have been like 20 years old. Just incredibly smart He was so smart that as a child growing up, he really didn't have any friends because he ended up graduating high school in his teens, I think, and then he went on to college after that. Well, there was a a live television event where he was there and several others were on the panel, and there was a transgender woman named Zoe Tour, T-U-R, and he was physically threatened by him transgender because Ben Shapiro would not use the proper pronouns and he basically threatened Ben Shapiro on camera and Ben Shapiro had to uh, file a restraining order and he sought some legal action against him for doing this and and this is where the bullying the lying the intimidation comes in because he was winning the argument And so all of a sudden it jumped to threats and yelling and ad hominem attacks. And this is what somebody will do that gets in the church, that has some ideas that are contrary to what scripture teaches, and that's the last resort. That's what they go to. That's their default position. Now, again, in the secular realm, there are so many examples of this in the secular realm. Maybe you remember the former Christopher Hitchens. Uh, the, the atheist, one of the new atheists that are out there, and he would argue at these debate sessions with different Christian leaders, and he would always defer to that too. He would defer to insults and raising his voice and bullying and intimidation. He's a very smart man, but he was very wrong in his belief of God. And another individual that is at the University of Arizona, Lawrence Krauss, it's hard for me to listen to Lawrence Krauss. Because he fits this description completely as if he were inside the church, but he does it in the secular realm. He believes that there is no God and something can come from nothing. And he wrote a book about it. But when you read the book, there really isn't nothing that he's referring to. And he just yells and belittles the people that he talks to. And But I like to listen to these things to see what the other side thinks. The atheists who are out there, the intelligentsia, the ones who think that they are so much above everybody else and nobody else is up at their level. Therefore, they are the experts. We have this in the church as well. We have those inside the church that think that they are the experts. They are not believers at all. They don't hold the sound doctrine and they teach that you don't have to worry about the unholy living, that everybody is going to be saved no matter what because there is universalism that is employed in their belief system. And and so this takes place inside the church. And these people were the first and foremost, they were prideful uh, in their stance. And Proverbs chapter 22, verse 10 says, drive out the mocker and out go strife. Quarrels and insults are ended. And so if there's somebody inside the church that is like this, you're to kindly ask them, would you please leave? Do not remain inside the church. If you don't hold to orthodox teaching, please go somewhere else. 
If somebody came in this church and they said, well, Jesus Christ is not God. It's Jesus is God. The Trinity is there. The death, the burial, the resurrection, the ascension of Jesus Christ to the right hand of the Father. He's coming back to be with us. The virgin birth. All of that stuff is it's solid doctrine, sound doctrine. We're to hold to that. If anybody comes in and teaches otherwise, we just kindly ask them, would you please leave and go somewhere else where you think you might have better fellowship with like-minded people? But in this particular church and other churches that I know of that teach the Bible, they would be asked to leave the premises and not fellowship with the people inside the church. So Paul lets us know that if someone who is promoting these false doctrines, we are to ask them to leave the fellowship of believers. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7, which we already covered, says, have nothing to do with godless myths, old wives' tales, rather train yourself to be godly. And remember I gave you a, a list of old wives' tales and practices that we've been in. Remember at Halloween, if you peel an apple and you take the apple rind and you throw it over your shoulder and it lands on the ground, it's going to spell out the first letter of the name of the person you're going to marry. You know, it's just stuff like that. Or you take salt and you throw salt over your shoulder. You don't break a mirror. You don't walk under a ladder. All of those things, you you don't pay attention to those things. Or if it's chemtrails or whatever it is that's out there, just don't. The latest one is 5G. They're, in some countries, they're killing people over the 5G because they don't want 5G installed. Or they're tearing down towers because 5G, it's going to control your mind because the vaccine that you have in there is receptive to the Wi-Fi, which means they can send signals to you and control your mind. And all of these uh, genes are going to go to your brain and make your brain susceptible to... It's just wild. I mean, it's like, really? And God doesn't have any control over any of this stuff. No, we we have to stand against it. So these types of things, just put them to the side. If you want to talk about it, okay, bring it up. Good, we've covered that. Let's move on. But to be uh, enmeshed in this type of stuff, we're not supposed to do that. Also, Titus 3.10 says, Warn a divisive person once and then warn him a second time. After that, have nothing to do with them. And so the person gets a couple of warnings. But if they're going to be disruptive inside the church, you just ask them, please go somewhere else. Verse 5 here, it says, And constant friction between men of corrupt mind who have been robbed of the truth and who think that godliness is a means to financial gain. So these men who are arguing, arguing these particular doctrines that are not sound, It says that there is a rot or decay in the way that they think. And I think we can arrive at these types of positions because our stance on morality. If our morality starts to slide and we don't pay attention to what the word says, then our thinking is transformed or it leans to the default position. You know how you can go into your phone or into your computer and it has all these default settings. Your printer, it just messes up. You go in there you say, okay, I want all the factory settings reset on this and I can go back and change 
everything. Like, for instance, if you go to one of the tech giants, the Instagrams and the Facebooks and the Twitters and all of that, they take your information, but you can opt out on some of those, especially Facebook. You can opt out on some of those and some of those you can't. And you change all the settings in there. But if you reload it, it automatically goes to the default setting. So if you're reloading the sinful nature all the time, inside you go to that default setting. Everything that you believe in your flesh that is good, and your flesh believes a lot that is good, and the Bible says, no, it ain't. That's a highly technical term, ain't. And, and you want to make sure that you are not going to that default setting. It is something that Romans chapter 12, verse 1 tells us. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. If you've ever had an older car. Now, I can remember my first car. It was a Plymouth Valiant 1965 push button transmission on the left with the lever for the parking and it was just wonderful you'd push those and it looked like a sow bug and that's what we called it we called it a sow bug and it was white but it was all oxidized and i wanted to renew the paint so i got polish i was polishing it out there oh yeah i see myself in there it's, it's wonderful then i had another car after that it was a, <clears throat> a chevy too and it was painted blue and it was wonderful and got the polish out <clears throat> to renew the paint but it scrubbed a little too hard and you get down to the primer coat that's in there and you go oh no i'm going too deep and but you want to renew the paint the look of the paint today we have the clear coat on top and the polymers that are out there and we don't have to do that so much but the same thing with your mind. You have a default setting. Your default setting is me. The world is about me. It's what I want. It's selfishness. It's all those things that make your world better. And the non-default setting, the one you have to change there is everything is about God and everybody else. And so whatever God wants us to do, we have to constantly renew ourselves, go back through and make sure the settings are correct. Like if you get an upgrade on your computer, sometimes the settings go back and then they change and you have to go back in and change the settings. And so if your life changes, if you go somewhere, you have to make sure you reinstall the settings. You want to make sure you're not going to the default that is in your life. I've heard it said as far as politically motivation or being motivated is concerned that being a liberal or progressive is the default setting. In order to be a conservative, you have to constantly work at it. You have to constantly reinforce why you're doing what you're doing because it's the right thing and it's based on morality. Well, the same thing is true with our spiritual walks. We have to constantly reinforce and renew our minds to make sure our minds do not eventually come corrupt. Everything in this world is subject to corruption, including our minds. This is actually in science, the second law of thermodynamics is called entropy. Everything goes from order to disorder. If that vehicle that I was polishing, that Plymouth Valiant, if it is still around, it is decaying, it is rusting, and it's constantly having to be renewed. Whoever has it, I think it was junked at uh, some particular point. And so the thing, same thing applies to us. We don't want our minds to be in the mode of being corrupt, but we want them to be transformed. And then it says that they have been robbed of the truth. And this is where the moral corruption comes in. 
it seems as if as the immorality increases, the moral corruption increases. As that happens, our minds begin to think and it actually takes away that which is good. The immorality overcomes the morality. And so these individuals who teach these things, who have been robbed of the truth, a perfect example of this is those in the homosexual community. They have been robbed of the truth and they're holding to what is a falsehood that everything is wonderful. It just depends, you know, love is love and God says, no, love is not love. And so there's a redefinition of terms there. And that's one of the things that a narcissist will do inside the church is he will actually redefine what particular terms are. So we are supposed to renew our mind to avoid having this happen. And in First Timothy 6, 5, it says, they think that a godly life is a way to make profit. Now, I have several different versions here. Another one is they think that serving God is a way to get rich. Or they think that religion is a way to make a fast buck. In other words, you get into ministry because you want some cash. You want some cash flow. You can move the people to give. You know, there are all kinds of techniques in order to get people to do that. Uh, I don't know if you've seen some of these hypnotist shows where they get people to go to ATMs and pull out money because they've hypnotized them before they get to the ATM or they've gone to the ATM, they're walking away and the person goes up and hypnotizes them instantly and they go back and they get 200 bucks. They tell them to put it in this brown paper bag that they give them and put it in the trash can right next to that. And when they're confronted about that, they don't remember ever doing it and they pointed out that the receipts in the bag and they did it and they do do this for show and i don't know if you guys have ever seen a hypnotist act uh, back in high school i went to one went on a date and went to saw uh see dr michael dean i don't know if you remember him at all uh, my mom was hypnotized when she was young and she talked about it and i is buzz in here <laughs> Buzz has some great stories about being hypnotized, just fantastic stuff. And so this power of suggestion, there's certain things you can say if you have this technique. You, you can get people to do things that they wouldn't normally to do if you were skilled in that. And people get in the church and they start doing that. They, they convince people that they need to give money for a particular cause or because a miracle took place, God wants a movement to continue. There was a movie made along this line. Again, I'm referring to some secular stuff here, but you guys know the banjo playing Steve Martin. Now, Steve Martin, it was a, a comedy guy. He hasn't been around much lately, but uh, he was funny in a lot of different settings. But he made this one movie called A Leap of Faith. And in the movie A Leap of Faith, he was this health, wealth, and prosperity, faith healing evangelist. And he would go from town to town and he would set up this tent and everybody would come. He'd advertise in the town and he'd and bring everybody in and he had flashy clothes on and he'd talk about Jesus and he had even the statue of Jesus that was like 12 foot tall and Jesus was there and his eyes were closed and on the end of the movie he gets up there he's going to deceive the people and he gets up with some model paints and he paints in the eyes of Jesus on the statue that are currently blank 
And when the people come in, he tells them, see, a miracle. Jesus' eyes are open. Therefore, because this has happened, God wants you to give. And he just goes through this whole spiel about people coming forward and being prayed for. And all of a sudden, some guy in a wheelchair comes up and he actually walks. He gets out of the wheelchair and Steve Martin, his character in the movie, realizes that, ooh, God's real and he just did something real and uh, I'm out of my league and he quits. He stops at that point. But he thought he should be in it just to make money. That's what he did. He was this traveling evangelist just to make money. It was his shtick, so to speak. It's what he did in order to make himself rich. And people will come into the church in order to do that. All you have to do is listen to some of these guys like Creflo Dollar. I don't know if that was his original name, but he changed it to Dollar and Fred Price. I don't know how much he is still around and Morris Cirillo and Kenneth Copeland. And I don't mind naming these guys. These guys are false prophets. They're in it for the money. And people that send them money, they they ought not to do it, but people do. And so people have been robbed of the truth and they think that being in ministry is a means to financial gain. Now, with that, verse, chapter 6, or excuse me, verse 6, it says, But godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into this world and we can take nothing out of it, but if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. So he's dealing with The false teachers, the false doctrine who argue, who think that money is the reason you need to be in the church, ministering, and Paul says, no, stop it. We want the proper doctrine, and money should not be an issue. Uh, There's this old philosopher, Immanuel Kant, and he was a heretic, but he said, we are not rich by what we possess, by what we can do without I think that was pretty good because the more you have, the more you're tied to it. Before I had a house, I didn't have to worry about taking care of a house. Now I have a house and, you know, it's coming around like the third time where I have to start going through the house and painting everything. And, you know, it just gets old like me. And, you know, I could be repainted as well and and fixing little holes and problems and leaks and sounds and things like that and now that i have that i am responsible for it so i'm tied to it but the less we have the more free we are and the more rich we are emmanuel kant would say and also socrates he said he who is not contented with what he has would not be contented with what he would like to have And I think that that is true as well. You know, these people with just billions of dollars and the two or three hundred foot yachts and the houses and all of that. I I don't know how they keep track of all that. They probably have to be told what they possess after so long. In Philippians 4.12, it says, I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. And Hebrews 13.5 says, keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. That contentment with godliness, Bible tells us it is great 
gain. Ecclesiastes tells us that the rich have a hard time sleeping. It says, the sleep of a laborer is sweet, whether he eats little or much, but the abundance of a rich man permits him no sleep. Oh, man. Talk about having troubles, those people who have so much and where it's going and who's going to take advantage of them. They are denied sleep. And also, we know that we don't want to seek after too much or have too little. We want to balance. Proverbs 30, verses 8 and 9. Keep falsehood and lies far from me. Keep me or give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God. And verse 9 says, people who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kind of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. So our primary purpose in life is not to seek after wealth. Our primary purpose is whatever wealth we have, be content with that, and the ability to enjoy that comes from God, and we want to serve him. So it's God number one, and everything that comes with that, he provides. We don't have to worry about that. Now, somebody who wants to get rich, the odds of getting rich by playing the lottery, and I'm going to give you comparisons to it, all right? The odds of winning the California Super Lotto jackpot are one in 18 million. The odds of winning the lottery are 1 in 15 million. The odds of winning the lotto jackpot are about 1 in 14 million. If one person possesses or purchases 50 lotto tickets each week, they will win the jackpot about once every 5,000 years. Here's another comparison. If a car gets 25 miles per gallon and a gallon of gas is bought for every lotto ticket, or excuse me, every lotto ticket bought, there will be enough gas for about 750 round trips to the moon before the jackpot is won. I'll read that again. If a car gets 25 miles per gallon and a gallon of gas is bought for every lotto ticket bought, there will be enough gas for about 750 round trips to the moon before the jackpot is won. 750 trips to the moon. It is three times more likely for a person driving 10 miles to buy a lotto ticket to be killed in a car accident than to win the jackpot. Who wants to sign up for the lottery? Also, the odds are greater to be dealt a royal flush on the opening hand of a poker game, one in 649,739, or the odds are greater than you winning the lotto, to be killed by a terrorist while traveling abroad. One in 650,000. Also, let me see if I want to read this one. Oh, you have more of an odd of the odds of dying of a flesh-eating bacteria than winning the lotto. And also, you have more of a chance of dying from heart disease from eating a broiled steak a week. Each week, if you have a broiled steak, each week you have more of a chance of dying of a heart attack than winning the lotto. I just read yesterday that uh, eating one hot dog takes 36 minutes off your life. <laughs> now, I don't know if that's true or not, but how do we apply all this? You know, 
do you gamble? Do you not gamble? Do you seek after wealth? Do you not seek after wealth? Do you hold to solid doctrine? Do you not hold to solid doctrine? We know what the answers to those things are. So when it comes to money, save up little by little. We know that Proverbs 13.11, dishonest money dwindles away, but he who gathers money little by little makes it grow. And then work until you cannot, whether in a job or for the Lord or both. It says in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 12, we work hard with our hands, and that's what we're supposed to do. And if you become independently wealthy, share with those who are truly poor. And also, uh, number four here, flee from false doctrine and pursuit and the pursuit of wealth. Seek the wealth that God has for us. That's the lessons that are to be learned here. In verse 11, it says, But you, men of God, flee all this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. That's our task. So avoid that false doctrine. Forget about the wealth which is out there. Trust in God to bring along exactly what you need. I can't tell you how many times God has done that. I gave you testimony about being an employer and God providing on Fridays all the money that we needed. Every time it was necessary to make payroll. And God can do that for your bills as well. He's the one in control. When I said last week, it's his problem. Well, it is. It's in his ball court. He's the one that's taking care of us. <clears throat> He's the one that's responsible for us. So we need not worry or, th- or fret. Just seek to serve God <clears throat> Excuse me, with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And with God's help, we'll do so. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, we thank you for the instruction from your word. <clears throat> Help us to recognize what is false doctrine and true doctrine by knowing the word that is within us that you have planted there. Help it to dwell in us richly, Lord, or help us to have it dwell in us richly. We pray that we would have great discernment in these times. And again, for those people in Afghanistan, I pray for their safety, Lord. I pray that you would have mercy on those people trying to get out. And again, I pray that you would confuse and subdue the Taliban who are coming in and make it impossible for them to achieve their goals. So, Father, we know that you are in charge. Just help us to wait patiently until you bring the end of days to fruition. In Jesus' name, and the church said, please stand.